0: Thank you for today. We thank you for Jordan and his ability to preach. I thank you for uh, creating an opportunity for him to bless us. I ask him pray and pray you be with our pastor and his son as he's out hunting and spending quality time. Give them a special connection through this time and give Jordan the words to speak and the wisdom to share and give us the ears to hear the thoughts that you wish for us to have. I ask, pray you can bless him through this and bless us through him. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Good morning. let see if we've got enough space up here. Um, it's always fun to be back in Henderson. Um, I almost was getting emotional just thinking and singing and uh, kids. You don't know how good you have it till you get older and you look back and it's like, man, that was really good. Um, If I was an NFL quarterback, I could probably walk out those doors and throw a football, and it would land in my old front yard. Uh, Lots of good memories, not to mention getting married right here. Um, I'm flying solo today. Dina is down in Arkansas visiting her folks, and Stockham was having baptism today, so our younger two, Lizzie and Lincoln, are there. Uh, The older two, Jillian and Emma, are off to college in Wayne State, and... Frontier School of the Bible, shout out over there. Uh, definitely a different stage of life. Um, I apologize; I didn't bring any literature uh, about Christian Resource Center. Uh, as I was o- on the way over, and I thought about it, I was like, oh, I'll tell them I did that on purpose so that they have to drive over there and uh, visit. Uh, but it is a good road trip—18 uh, miles that way. Uh, Thank you to those of you who are able to support us. Uh, CRCnebraska.com is the the website. Uh, We had a full slate of camps this summer. Uh, The girls and boys basketball camp, two elementary camps, a junior high camp, and our senior high travel camp. We went to Yellowstone uh, this year. Uh, Registration for the next year is January 1st. So that's when you—that's when it opens up. Uh, Each of our camps were full to overflowing. Uh, We unfortunately had to turn some away from travel camp, Uh, but it's always a good good problem to have. Um, During the school year, uh, I lead a couple different winter Bible studies. Uh, I help run the Giltner FCA. I coach some junior high football. Uh, I do general maintenance and planning, and I also help lead the Stockham Youth Group. CRC is a as a location. Uh, there's 40 acres out there. Uh, it has hiking trails, biking trails. Uh, if you need to burn off some kid energy or some of your own calories, uh, we'd love to have you out. Uh, fire pits, basketball court, any type of activity or group gathering that you want to have. Uh, do it quick before all the leaves are gone. Uh, it's really pretty at the moment. Uh, for those of you who know Paul and Kathy Nauman, uh, they have been there a long time; they are slowly slowing down. Uh, emphasis on the slowly, which is to my benefit. Uh, they do a lot of the work of still helping uh, keep the grounds up, up, uh, and behind the scenes events, or beside, behind the scenes helping me with FCA events and the various camps. Uh, actually, this coming or a week from today, we're doing a, a celebration of ministry at Stockholm uh, for them. Uh, to honor them, to celebrate them. It's 45 years that they've been at Stockholm. So um, this, at the end of the month, Paul will be turning 75. And this fall, he turned over the preaching to Rick Bartek. Uh, He still does his Sunday school class. So there is your update, insight into what's happening west and south. Well, you're in the know. Um, if any of you don't know me super well, a uh, little insight into my psyche. I'm slightly non-traditional, just like if you're traditional, I'm just off just a little bit, just not too far. But. So that said, I need you to hop up and shake the hands of at least three people, okay? Ready to go. Okay, now that hopefully you've got at least three, uh, you need to rank their grip, okay? You don't have to tell them right now, but rank in your mind, okay, who got first, who got second, who had third, uh, how'd they do? Ladies, I don't know if you know this about guys, Uh, we like to compete at things and making sure you have a firm handshake, uh, that's one of them. Uh, You don't want to be outdone. You also don't want to break anybody's hand. Uh, Just a good, solid medium. Uh, Unless, of course, that young man is trying to date your daughter. And you really got to let him have it. Nah, just, okay, I'm not kidding. Uh, That's another one of those stage of life things. Uh, You can rat on me if you need to. (laughs) I wasn't expecting you to be here. uh, My daughter is, uh, my one daughter is, seriously dating somebody, and so there's potential, but, but anyway, the idea of a, of a handshake uh, gives us a, gives us a word picture as we ask the question about ourselves, what grips us? I think a person could answer this in a, in a lot of different ways, depending on the day, depending on the circumstances, but if you zoom out of your life a little bit, what are some of the overarching things that grip you? What are the things, the thoughts, the feelings that influence your big decisions? Who are the people that influence your decisions, influence your actions? What about the little things, your moment-by-moment decisions? What influences those? Some pretty deep thoughts for this early in the morning, uh, but I think they're valuable for us to think about. I want to focus on a couple this morning uh, that can grip us. Some we want, some we don't. What are they? Fear and shame on one hand, and God's grace and mercy and glory on the other. If there were things that came to your mind already, do they they fit into those categories? Uh, Those those categories aren't exhaustive, uh, but for me, uh, they're the struggle of what I want to be gripped by, and the ones that wrestle to grip me. What are some of your greatest fears? The dark, depending on where that dark is exactly, uh, could be fear of loss, fear of losing stuff, fear of losing people, people you love, fear of the future. Not knowing what is going to happen, the uncertainty of our global thing, the uncertainty things of on a global level. Uh, Fear of pain. I'm not so much afraid of dying, but what if it really hurts? How about emotional pain? Anybody ever made the statement, had the thought, "I'm not going to let people know the real me. I might get hurt." In that same vein, fear of people, fear of what people think, fear of people what, what <clears throat> people might say, is the number one filter or grid by which you make decisions based on what you think other people are going to, to think or say. Maybe put a better way, how often do you ultima- are you ultimately motivated by what you think others are going to say? How about the fear of Failure. Fear of missing out. I think all of these fears, to some extent, are part of the human condition. Especially apart from Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Christ, to what extent do you allow fear, fear of whatever, to dominate your thoughts and your actions when it should be Christ and who He is guiding us? Turn to turn to John chapter 3 if you would as you're going there John 3:16 is arguably one of the most famous verses from scripture but how often do we know or look at or think about the context as we quote it if you're there, look at the beginning of the chapter, beginning of chapter th- John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Okay? He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Why does he do that? Maybe it's fear of his contemporaries. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader. And Jesus was definitely ruffling some feathers. His thoughts might have been, what is it going to look like if me, a Pharisee, is not denouncing Jesus? What is it going to look like to the people if there's a Pharisee that is conversing with this newly famous teacher who does miracles and seems to be the next greatest thing? I think it's safe to say that some of these thoughts would have been running through Nicodemus's head. But look at, verse, look at verse 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is trying to process what he is seeing and what he is hearing. Jesus doesn't waste a bunch of time. He gets to the heart of the matter. Is the heart of the matter the fear that Nicodemus is exhibiting? Did Jesus say, "Eh, let's talk about this in the temple courts tomorrow? No, he goes to the heart of the matter, Nicodemus being born again. The reality that we are designed to be in relationship with God, and that happens by being born of the Spirit. Nicodemus finds this confusing and this is the context of John 3.16. Jesus is stating to Nicodemus that there is a spiritual component to life. And then, expi- and then explaining that that spiritual life lasts forever. Let's pick it up in John 3.14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus connects what is going to happen, what's going to happen to him, to an event that Nicodemus, having studied the Old Testament, would be familiar with. In the desert, the children of Israel were dealing with venomous snakes as a judgment for their complaining and their grumbling. The people eventually cried out for mercy and acknowledged their sin. God had Moses place a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up in the air and said that if you were bit by a snake and you looked to this bronze snake you would not die from that by- <clears throat> from that bite What is going to be happening to Jesus within a couple of years is sorry What is going to be happening to Jesus within a couple of years of this encounter is that Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? Verse 15, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. 16 through 18, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. A very succinct presentation of the gospel gives us the reality of the human condition that apart from Christ, a person is condemned already. It states our need for him, and it states the reason why Christ came into the world. What again is the context for this conversation? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Was it fear? Was it concern? Was it him wanting to keep his investigation on the down low? Uh, Jesus spoke. To his actual need. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. If you're looking at the 12 disciples, uh, there's a lot written about Peter. He's the guy who is not afraid to say the quiet part out loud. He was not afraid to speak his mind even when it might be wrong. He was not afraid to put his foot in his mouth, if you will. I can resonate with that. Who was it that denied Christ three times? Peter did. I can resonate with that. Why did Peter do that? Fear. Fear of man. Fear of physical pain. Fear of the unknown. And as we look here in Galatians, we're going to see that that this fear wasn't a one-time thing. I can resonate with that. This is uh, Galatians 2.11. That's where we'll start. When Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul talking. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that, there, by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Why did Paul confront Peter? The short answer is because Peter knew better. Keep your finger here in Galatians 2 and turn back to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, the, well, the whole book of Acts is the, the early church and seeing the, the gospel spread. And this is when the gospel begins to spread to the Gentiles. And so if you're in Acts 11, Uh, Peter's received a vision from the Lord, communicating that salvation is for all people, Gentiles included. And as Peter and the early church in Jerusalem are processing this, Peter is retelling uh, what happened in his vision and what the Lord told him as far as going with the men from Caesarea to the house of Cornelius. Uh, So this is... uh, Acts 11, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 15. As I began to speak, as you know, he was, pre- he was speaking, preaching to the, the people in Cornelius' house, that they, were, they were Gentiles. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. So that's the experience, that's the foundation that Peter had, that the Gentiles were believing the gospel and that they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Back in back in Galatians chapter two we read eleven through thirteen where Paul pointed out that Peter, you're pulling back from the gent you're thinking that associating with the Gentiles is wrong because of who you're around, because of the fear that you have. Verse fourteen. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Something very popular in our media, media world uh, at the moment is the plus. Okay? You've got Apple TV plus. You've got Disney plus. We've got Paramount plus, Google plus, Daily Wire plus. It's very important for us to note salvation is not Jesus plus. It is not Jesus plus our performance. It's not Jesus plus our money, it's not Jesus plus our success. It's not Jesus plus other people's opinions. It's not Jesus plus you being a good person. It's not Jesus plus anything. This is the truth that Paul was communicating, was reminding Peter of. As Paul said no to the idea that a person had to become a Jew, i.e. not associating with the Gentiles, following the law, circumcision. that They didn't have to become a Jew before they could become a Christian. Peter would have agreed with that statement, but his actions were saying otherwise. Let's read on. Uh, we'll hit 15 and 16 and 20 and 21. We who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have, been, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And 20... I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Theological question for us. Do I believe salvation is by faith alone? grace alone, and in Christ alone. Then the probing question, does my life bear that out? Let's head back to John chapter 4. We've seen Nicodemus's fear. We've seen Peter's fear. Uh, This begins to look at uh, shame as the the woman at the well. Uh, John 4 is is the account of Jesus' interaction with her. Uh, If if we pick it up in verse 4, Jesus is with his disciples. Now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was not afraid of what people thought. He said, we're going to Samaria. It was very common for Jewish people to, if they were traveling north, to go across the Jordan River, head up, and then cross where they did not have to go through Samaria. Uh, The Samaritans as a people group were half Jewish. They were Jews who had intermarried with other people groups after the fall of the northern kingdom. And they were viewed as impure. They were viewed as people to not be associated with. Thus, Jesus taking the road through Samaria was making a statement to his disciples, and as we see, as we're going to see, as well as the woman at the well, and to the townspeople that he's about to meet. Uh, verses 5 and 6. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. From <clears throat> and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Just a side note, Jesus being tired. I think that's so interesting. Uh, that's a completely different sermon topic. It has nothing to do with what we're going to hit on today. But uh, Jesus as a, as a man, God in the flesh, as a God in the flesh. Um, sixth hour, that was a way to describe noon. Um, people sun up was 6 o'clock. Uh, Six hours away to say say noon. Uh, not your it was time to take a break, uh, but not your not your typical time to to draw water. Here's verses seven and eight. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Not a typical time. It was the the heat of the day, yet here she was. And Jesus was talking to her. Uh, Jesus is a Jew. And this surprised her. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. The Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And if we continue, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift God the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is at it again. He's spirit, speaking about spiritual things and getting to the heart of what really matters, while the woman is focused on who he is, that he's a Jew, and eventually that he has a lack of a lack of a bucket. Uh, thirteen through sixteen. Oh, sorry, that was in 11. We'll go through 11 there. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. "'Where can you get this living water? "'Are you greater than our father Jacob, "'who gave us this well and drank from it himself, "'as did also his sons and his flocks and his herd?' "'And Jesus answered, "'Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, "'but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst.' Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go back, call your husband and come back. The woman says, sign me up. Do you know how much time and energy this is going to save me? I'm excited about this. But Jesus then shows her that he knows her deepest need and why she is there drawing water in the heat of the day. Verses 17 and 18, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Reading between the lines, I think it's possible to say that she is gripped with shame so much so that she was willing to endure the physical discomfort of coming to draw water at the middle of the day so she didn't have to deal with the emotional discomfort. As she processes who this Jewish man is in front of her, in my own words or in modern wording, I can tell you are somebody pretty important. You just revealed to me my deepest secrets. While I've got you here, I'm going to ask you a question. She shifts the conversation to the location of correct worship, to which Jesus ultimately answers that through the Jewish Messiah, true worship is about the heart and the attitude as opposed to the location. If we drop to verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Basically, she says, this is a little bit confusing, but I'm sure the Messiah will explain it. To which Jesus responds, I'm here. I am he. As the woman at the well processed this revelation, I think it's fun to consider what her facial expressions and reactions would have been. What? Wait. Really? No. Yes. This, wow. Uh, wait right here. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Uh-oh. Then she takes off, to, this, she takes off to, the, to her village. And did she think this? Uh, he knew my secrets, my past. He didn't shun me. He talked to me. He claimed to be the Messiah. I'll bet he is the Messiah. This is wait till I get, wait until I tell the village. This is amazing. If those were her exact thoughts, I don't exactly know, uh, but you see by her actions, okay? Her shame and her pain were transformed to joy and excitement by the grace and mercy of God in the flesh. What was the natural urge that overtook her to share it with those in her village? People, you've got to meet this guy. They believed her. They believed her testimony. And then ultimately, they believed in Jesus. How about Nicodemus from from John chapter 3? Okay. Well, he's mentioned again in John 7 as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are discussing arresting Jesus. Uh, He, I don't say he was sheepishly, but he... Uh, wasn't full of courage, but he speaks up and says that, hey, Jewish law says that we need to to hear a person investigate them before they can be arrested. But eventually, at the book, at the end of the book of John, again described as, hey, this was the guy who came to see Jesus at night. He overcomes his fear. He is one of the men who goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body after he's died to give him a proper burial. And what about Peter? Though he struggled at that moment, we all do, he was a bold witness for Christ. Uh, Turn back to Acts chapter 5. Nope, I guess we're going forward. Sorry. Acts chapter 5. Uh, This is when Peter and some of the other disciples were being questioned before the Sanhedrin. Uh, 5, starting with verse 27. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles... They made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of the sins of Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down for spreading for his spreading of the gospel how did these people get to that point the grace and mercy and glory of god where are you at in the process of being gripped by the grace and mercy and glory of god put together a few, a few scriptures uh, just to read to you guys that uh, if you want to close your eyes, um, I think even if you fall asleep, what's better than to fall asleep to than the word of God? Uh, but as you listen to these, uh, close your eyes, allow God's word to, to speak to you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Nicodemus, Peter, The woman at the well, this is where we want to end up as we consider who God is, to be in awe of his splendor, his majesty, his holiness, his love expressed toward us in Christ, letting go of whatever fear or shame or whatever else might be gripping us and allowing our minds, our bodies, our souls to be gripped by his grace and his mercy and his glory. reading and listening and studying God's word worshipping as an individual declaring God's worth worshipping as a corporate body gathering to encourage one another share what God has done share what God is doing it's almost like the the excitement of of the woman at the well if she actually said that wait right here I'll, I'll be right back of that type of ec- accept, <clears throat> excitement expectancy dependency of you looking to the person next to you of we'll be back here next week let's share what god's going let 's share what god 's doing let 's look for what he let's look for what he's doing let's let's meet back here and let's share with one another let's encourage one another and the last thought um As I walked in this morning and I glanced around, I saw a few different small groups happening. Um, I think that's right where this is. Last thought, what was Jesus good at? Getting conversations focused on what matters. On what the real issue is or what the real need is. How do we do at that? It's very very easy to talk about the Huskers or the weather or the harvests. I'm very guilty of that. But in the grand scheme of things, there are things that are more important to get our conversations to. All for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you today for your majesty and for your glory. God, we acknowledge you as the Almighty. I thank you for your grace and your mercy shown us in Christ. May we be gripped by that, gripped by who you are. God, I ask that you would empower us by your spirit to live lives that bring you glory, lives that boldly proclaim you as our number one. In Jesus' name, amen.